Well, hey, back in August, back in August, we started this series to the praise of His glory. It was warmer then. The days were longer. The sun was beautiful. And now here we are in December, and I'm not going to complain. But we noted, thank you, we noted the importance of knowing our position. Uh, That is, knowing exactly what our role is or who we are. And we said that knowing our position impacts our practice. So if you're on a team, if you're in band, if you're part of a drama production, or even in a family, knowing your position dictates, tells, helps you understand who you're to be and what you're supposed to be about. And once you know your position, then you have clarity on what you're supposed to say, what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to think, how you're supposed to feel. But if you're unsure of your position, or if you don't really understand it well enough, there's little chance of things going well for you and whatever team or group you're a part of. Knowing your position impacts practice. Knowing who you are changes what you do. Uh, This is the way that the entire book of Ephesians is structured. Uh, Paul begins by describing the Christian's position, who we are in Christ. We've just spent from August until now looking at chapters 1 through 3, describing our position in Christ. And now we're moving into chapters 4 through 6 that begin to tell us about our practice or how we are then to live in Christ. We said this a few times that one through three is salvation accomplished, all that God has done for us in Christ. Chapters four through six are salvation applied. So now that I've been redeemed by Christ, now that I'm a slave to Christ, a slave to righteousness, now that the Holy Spirit of God lives within me, here is how my life then begins to look. Uh, Chapters one through three are the imperative describing the situation. Chapters four through six are the imperative describing what we're to do, or I'm sorry, yeah, the imperative what we're to do with that. We come now to chapter four, and our position has been clearly described in the last three chapters. What Paul has told us is this. He's told us that we have been blessed by God Almighty, all three persons of the Trinity, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That means that for us who are in Christ, We have been filled with the Spirit of God. We've been adopted as God's children. We've been forgiven of our sins. We've been rescued from the wrath to come. We've been reconciled to God. We've been given access to the very throne of God. God who is able to do all things and God who will do all things that bring glory to his name and that build his church and make much of Jesus. All of these things have been granted to you, have been granted to me, who are in Christ Jesus. This is something we don't say a lot in our church context, but that's a good point for like a hallelujah. So give me a good hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good. Do we know what this means? It means pray, let us praise God together when we say hallelujah. So we hear that as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we hear these truths in, in, in our hearts. Maybe you didn't say it out loud, but our hearts should just exclaim like hallelujah. Like as brothers and sisters in Christ, like let us praise God together for all that he's done for us in Christ. Uh, Brother or sister in Christ, this is your position as a child of God. So we get to chapter four and Paul begins 
like this. He says, I therefore. Uh, Therefore is actually the first word in the Greek text. And so what he's doing is anytime you see this word therefore in scripture, it's trying to draw your attention back to what was previously stated. He's trying to say, hey, look backwards. And in light of this, here's something else that I have to say about that. In light of everything that has been said previously, now I need to share something else with you. He's saying that in light of your position, there are some truths, there are some realities that you need to know and understand. Uh, Christian, don't miss the ordering of how Paul structures this. Okay, this is really, really important because the Christian life does not begin with chapters four through six. The Christian life begins with chapters one through three. The Christian life does not begin with what you are to do. It begins with who you are. Your position is the foundation. Then comes the practice. Why is that important? For this reason, you are not trying to earn grace. You can't earn grace. It's a contradiction of terms. You are not trying to earn God's favor. Instead, you are living from grace. Everything in chapters 4 through 6 are not describing how you get Almighty God to love you or to accept you. God's word in Ephesians is proclaiming to us that for those of us who have turned from our sins and trusted in Jesus, we are already loved and accepted, fully loved and fully accepted because of what God has done for us in Christ. So then live in light of that. Not live to attain that, not live to convince God that you're worthy of love or acceptable, but knowing that because of what Christ has done for us, he has made you lovely. He has made you acceptable. And so we respond from that position. We're not trying to earn our position with our practice. We have the position and that impacts, it informs our practice. So how does he continue? He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk. I urge you to walk. This term walk is one that Paul uses often in the scriptures. It's one that describes the conduct of our life. It's the way that we live. It's our practice. You talk about it like, hey, how's your walk with the Lord going? It's not like this, just a metaphor where it's like, oh yeah, I'm kind of doing life hand in hand, walking with the Lord. No, it's talking about like, how are you living consciously in light of the gospel, consciously in light of your position in Christ? How is your life being enveloped, overtaken, transformed by the goodness and the glory of God shown to us in the gospel? It's the way we think. It's the way we speak. It's the way we act. And Paul uses this term walk on purpose. The Christian life is not a sprint. How many of you are sprinters? Sprinters on track team, anybody? Good, like three of you, that went well. Uh, I was a sprinter, I like sprinting, I do not like long distance at all. Like I'll come home from the gym sometimes and Katie's like, hey, so did you do any cardio? And I'm like, baby, I got in like a quarter of a mile today. (laughs) 
and I'm feeling good about that, right? And I like started at a four and got up to a seven for a little bit, and I was like, I'm done. This is boring, right? Uh, I like sprinting. I like getting it done fast. I like being fast and furious, and then it's done. It's over, and then I go do whatever else I want to do. Not the Christian life. It's just not. The Christian life is a walk. It's a marathon. Uh, let me ask this. How many of you guys like children's books? It's okay. It's cool to like children's books, okay? Uh, we really like children's books at the Poder household. We have a five-year-old and a three-year-old who also like children's books. Uh, any favorites? Favorite children's books? Junie B. Jones. Junie B. Jones. Don't know who that is. If you give a mouse a cookie, we were, Asher and I and Kate were watching that before we came here. I know the whole theme song to the Amazon series. It's fantastic. Anyone a Moose a Muffin? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's good, good. Okay, any others, any others? Dr. Seuss, I really like Dr. Seuss. Did, what'd somebody say? What is it? Mo Willems, Mo Willems? It's, a, it's about a pigeon, Kayla knows this, of course she does. Okay, uh, one or two more, one or two more, yes. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, of course. How could you not love that? I love that movie, it's fantastic. Ty, what you got? Are you my mother? That's good. That is very, very, very good. Well, perhaps you've heard of the tortoise and the hare. Yeah. Ooh, it's like wonder and excitement. You're like, oh, wow. Well, for those of you who haven't heard of, excuse me, this author calls it the hare and the tortoise. Uh, I have a very condensed version here that I would like to read to you this evening. So just kind of get in touch with your inner child. Um, maybe don't, actually. Uh, but here's the story of the hare and the tortoise. A hare was making fun of the tortoise one day for being so slow. Do you ever get anywhere, he asked with a mocking laugh. Yes, replied the tortoise. And I get there sooner than you think. I'll run you a race and prove it. The hare was much amused at the idea of running a race with the tortoise, but for the fun of the thing, he agreed. So the fox, I like how they just introduced that, uh, who had consented to act as the judge, marked the distance and started the runners off. The hare was soon far out of sight, and to make the tortoise feel very deeply how ridiculous it was for him to try and race with a hare, he lay down beside the course to take a nap until the tortoise should catch up. The tortoise, meanwhile, kept going slowly but steadily, and after a time, passed the place where the hare was sleeping. But the hare slept on very peacefully, and when at last he did wake up, the tortoise was near the goal. The hare now ran his swiftest, but he could not overtake the tortoise in time. The race is not always to the swift good, right? It's good. Yeah, oh, oh, thank you. It's like a, it's like a reading. Okay. So, so, see, so see what happens here. The hare, which is a rabbit or a bunny for those of you who are still catching up, uh, overconfident with his natural abilities as a fast runner, swells with pride, right? He takes off from the finish line with lightning speed, and then along the way, he gets distracted by his own confidence, wanting to show the hare, or the tortoise, how ridiculous he looks. And so, stops running the race, loses focus, 
all because of his own self-confidence. But the tortoise plods along, slowly but steadily. But he's determined. Look at this picture. He's got his neck out. He's taking as long of strides as he can. This is a real picture of the event. Uh, <laughs> he's determined, right? He's putting forth his greatest effort, and he's striving towards the finish line with all he has. And yet, it's slow, and it's steady, and the story reminds us that the race is not always to the swift. Hear this, friends. The Christian life is not about bursting out of the gates with great enthusiasm and great excitement only to flame out a little bit further down the track. The Christian life is not a microwave kind of faith where you come to Jesus and then all of a sudden you're exactly like Jesus. You got the whole thing figured out and you say, you know what, this whole thing is just kind of boring. I've got it all figured out. I sat down one time with a student who said, you know what, I've read the whole Bible before. I don't need to keep reading it. It's like, dude, what in the world, right? Uh, the Christian life is not just about getting all the reading done and doing all the stuff and then, okay, it's done, it's over, and now what, Right? The Christian life is a marathon. It's a slow and steady kind of reality. It's not like lighting a stick of dynamite and the fuse is going really, really fast and all of a sudden, boom, explosion, and it's over. It's more like lighting a candle and it's a steady burn over time. And the heat is intense and the light that it gives off is bright and yet it's still a slow and steady burn over time. Brothers and sisters, if you consider your life in Christ, don't just look at the rate, the speed at which you are progressing. Because it's not just about the speed. It's about the direction. And the question is, are you, am I, are we continuing in faithfulness to the Lord for our whole lives? Not just in middle school, not just in high school, not just the first week of college, not just through college, not just until we get married, not just until we have kids, not just until the next chapter in life, but slowly and steadily continuing to move in the direction, a Godward direction, a faithful progression our whole lives. You see, guys, in Christ, God is creating men and women, and he is seeking men and women who will seek and serve Jesus for their whole lives. And right now, you guys are at the point where people are telling you like, hey man, just listen to your heart. Follow your dreams. You can do anything you put your mind to. And the world expects extraordinary things out of you. And that's not the biblical call. The biblical call is a faithful, obedient, and loving life. God has called you, Christian, to faithfulness, to obedience, and to love. Should he decide to do something world-changing through your faithfulness and obedience and love, then glory to his name alone. But should you live your life quietly in obscurity with only 12 people ever knowing your name and doing small little things to love and serve other people along the way, then praise God and glory to his name alone alone. So when Paul calls us to walk, it's not a call to laziness. It's not a call to passivity. It's not a call to a passionless life. It's a call to faithfulness. 
It's a call to living in a certain way your whole life. And the Bible is replete with other passages that talk about our zeal and our passion and our effort and what that ought to look like in serving the Lord and serving his people. But here in this passage, Paul is calling us to faithfulness and to conduct ourselves in a certain way. He's saying in light of your position in Christ, walk. Live your life accordingly. Become who you already are in Christ. Now it's important here also to note that the you, look back at chapter 4 verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk. The you there is plural, okay? So it's not just talking to you individual Christian, but it's saying you all. Sometimes we get really, really individualized in our walks with the Lord, but what Paul is doing here is he's actually calling a people, a gathering of brothers and sisters to conduct themselves in a certain way that makes sense according to who they actually are. So he's calling us, the church, gathered brothers and sisters in Christ to live a certain way, to walk in a certain manner. And what kind of manner is that? Look at the text. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I think this phrase is a really, really important phrase for the rest of the book of Ephesians because I actually think it's the header for chapters four through six. Everything that we're gonna see in chapters four through six are what it looks like to live a life that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Notice what Paul does. He points you back to the calling. This is what God has done in your life. This is what the Lord Almighty is doing in you and through you. And so you respond in a certain way. It's a worthy manner. So chapters four through six describe then how we live as a child of God, how we are to live as those who have been rescued from wrath and redeemed from slavery to sin. And it's describing how we all, as a church family, together do this by the power of the gospel at work in us. So here's what you can expect for the rest of our series. Uh, As we go through the rest of this school year in the book of Ephesians, we're going to see how the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the power of the Holy Spirit working in us enables us to live in a worthy manner. In a worthy manner when it comes to the way that we serve one another, in a worthy manner in the way in which we grow in godliness, in a worthy manner, in the way that we speak to one another. It's going to talk about even how we live in a worthy manner according to our feelings, how we live in a worthy manner in the way that we repent, how we live in a worthy manner in the way in which we do relationships in marriage, in families, and in the workplace, and in the way in which we do battle against the spiritual forces of evil. That is all of the different kind of headings for the worthy manner in which we're to live in all of those different ways. So, how do we begin to walk in a manner that's worthy of the position of which we've been given in Christ? Look at verse 2, please. We're to walk in a worthy manner of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So I want to introduce you to four of my friends. First is Humble Henry. I like Humble Henry. Humble Henry's not with us. (laughs) 
He's so humble, he refuses to be seen in public. Isn't that clever? Is anybody? Okay, well, you guys get the point. Right there in the middle of the screen, it said humble Henry, so you're not missing much, okay? Uh, Henry, hear this, Henry is more concerned with the needs of others than his own. He's always thinking about ways that he can serve others, and he's thoughtful to do it in a way that doesn't draw attention to himself. Henry's a learner, too. In every situation, he's always willing to ask questions. He's willing to listen well. He's willing to consider what others have to say when they speak into his life. He's not afraid to ask for help, and on many occasions, he's found that asking for help has really been a blessing, not just to him, but also to the individual that he asked for help. Henry is glad to obey the God-ordained authorities in his life. He doesn't sit back and think to himself, well, if I were in charge, then I would do it this way instead of that way. There are times when other people in Henry's life receive praise for the things that they're doing. He doesn't think to himself, well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I did this. How come nobody saw that? You know what? I'm going to find a way to tell other people that I did this so that way they think I'm great too. Instead, he simply rests in knowing that God was glorified in his service and that the other person was well-loved. Henry's thinking is consumed with thoughts of loving God and loving others. It's not that he thinks less of himself. It's just that he thinks about himself less. Humble Henry. Second friend uh, is gentle Jeff. That's Jeff with a G, because those Jeffs are usually gentle, right? Uh, Jeff's gentleness is often seen when others are trying to hurt him or trying to hurt themselves. Jeff has seen how his friends quickly rise up to defend themselves when others attack their character and their actions. Instead of responding in anger or retaliating, Jeff lovingly responds to those who attack him. He doesn't respond by criticizing his opponents. He doesn't respond sarcastically. He doesn't respond with passive aggression. Instead, he asks questions. He listens. And then he responds thoughtfully. But it's not just when others are hurting him. When he sees his friends struggling with sin, he doesn't just like jump their case. He doesn't storm into their lives pointing the finger. Instead, he first seeks to understand their sinful struggles. Then, he takes some time to remember his own sinfulness in the way that the Lord has gently been working in his life to help him overcome and to be more like Jesus. He then speaks truth into his friends' lives out of genuine care and concern for their souls. He doesn't want to be right. He doesn't want to be smart. He just wants to be faithful and loving. Then there's patient Patricia. Ooh, right? (laughs) Patricia is often thinking of the sovereignty of God. She recognizes that Almighty God is in control of every situation in her life and in the lives of others. She believes that the Lord is good. In fact, her favorite passage of scripture is Romans 8.28 that reminds her that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. When she experiences a setback in her life, she doesn't get overly frustrated and discouraged. At first, she might be sad or concerned, but then she remembers that God is in control and he is the one who will either work the situation out or else do something different that will help her become more like Jesus. When people interrupt her, she doesn't see it so much as an interruption. Instead, 
She sees it as an opportunity that sovereign God has allowed in her life. Detours and obstacles in Patricia's life are really just about her good, loving, and sovereign father bringing it all, all about to a glorious outcome. Patricia is able to endure in the midst of difficulty, and she's able to wait for things that she's excited about without complaining because she's confident that God is in control of the pace of her life and he has her in the exact place that he wants her to be. This is my fourth and final friend. It's bearing with Betty. Bearing with Betty. Bearing with Betty is quick to acknowledge that she does not have it all together. She thinks often of the way that God and others have been patient with her as she has grown. She remembers her journey through depression. There were moments where it seemed like She was really making great strides. She was really advancing, and then all of a sudden, she was right back in the pit of despair again. She remembers how her journey of following the Lord has been full of seasons where it was easy to be faithful, and other seasons where she's found herself sinning against the Lord and failing others over and over again. This helps Betty to be more bearing with one another's in her life especially when they sin against her time and time again. And then there are those difficult people in Betty's life. For whatever reason, they just seem to rub Betty the wrong way. She doesn't enjoy being around them, and honestly, they can be quite draining. But Betty knows that they're created in the image of God, and therefore they're valuable, precious, and loved by the Lord. So when Betty interacts with these people, she asks the Lord for help. Help to be kind, help to be patient, help to be gentle with them. She listens to them. She prays with them. She prays for them. They certainly don't have to be her best friends, but when the Lord allows them to be together, Betty asks the Lord for help to love them well. Friends, I hope as you hear these, I hope there's a stirring in your heart for wanting to be more and more like that. That as we consider our position in Christ, we consider who we are in Christ, we consider who Christ is, we desire to be a people who are increasing in humility and gentleness and patience and in bearing with one another. This is what's going on in our heart as we seek to live in a manner worthy of the calling which we've received. And when we have hearts that are filled with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with, all of the other things that we're going to talk about the rest of this semester start to come into line. It's when the Holy Spirit of God is working in our hearts to bring about these supernatural fruits that we are put into a position where we can walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which we've received. So we pursue a life of humility, where we're constantly considering the needs of others as more important than our own needs, where we're thinking about ourselves less and we're thinking about others more. We pursue a life of gentleness, where we don't need to respond sharply towards others or demandingly when we enter into their hurts and into their struggles. We pursue a life of patience, where we trust in the Lord's sovereignty. And we don't grumble and complain when things don't happen right when we want them or right how we want them to happen. We pursue a life of bearing with one another. And we're committed to allowing love to cover over the sins and offenses that our brothers and sisters commit against us.
We pursue all of this by God's grace because we remember our position in Christ. We remember that we have been saved from God's wrath, we've been forgiven of our sins, and we have been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And we cannot be these kind of people lest the Spirit of God do a supernatural transformative work in our lives. As we are these kind of people, people of humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with, Look at the end of verse 3. It says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What kind of unity? This kind of unity. Verse 4. One body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Brothers and sisters, when the Holy Spirit of God does a work in our life, when we begin to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which we've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love, it produces a supernatural unity that brings glory to God and that the world cannot deny. So, Father, we long for that. We long for you, Holy Spirit, to do a work in our lives of causing us to walk in a worthy manner, of causing us to be people who are humble and dependent, thoughtful of others, a people that are gentle, responding in kindness and entering in gently, a patient people that are trusting in you, knowing that you are in control of all things and that for those who love you, You do all things for our ultimate and eternal good. And Father, a people that are bearing with because the reality is we are still sinners on our way to eternity with you and we will fail one another, we will hurt one another, and we will need forgiveness. And we will need to grant forgiveness. And this can only happen by the power of the Spirit at work in us. So Holy Spirit, we open ourselves to you. Jesus, we rejoice in your saving gospel. And Father, we praise you for you are God Almighty who is over all and in all and through all. Amen.